This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teacher As Podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As will highlight uncommon parallels to teaching, as well as share practical ideas for the classroom. In this episode, I interview Al North, a firefighter in Rhode Island. I've known Al and his family for many years now, and they are great people. The Teacher as Firefighter is an especially interesting parallel. I gathered resources in my blog post this week for the parallels I found in this discussion. I hope you enjoy my interview with Lieutenant Al North. Thanks for joining us, Al. Glad to be here. Before we get started into the deep talk about firefighters, what would you like the teacher as listeners to know about you? Uh, let's see. I am a 19-year veteran with the East Providence Fire Department. Uh, currently lieutenant on our Engine 4, which is in Kent Heights area of East Providence. Father of three. My oldest is in college and my younger two are a junior and sophomore at high school. And your wife? And my wife, my wife is a, uh, she is a, works in the news industry. So uh, we kind of have a busy household and it runs at funky times. That's a great place to start. What is either the daily schedule or a you know, a typical day for a firefighter? The way that my schedule works, it's a rotating schedule of uh, two 10-hour days, then two 14-hour overnights, and followed by four days off. We don't have like a typical week where I'm, you know, Monday through Friday, I'm in the office or whatever. It's this week, it's Monday and Tuesday, I work during the day. And then Wednesday, I work into Thursday. And then Thursday, I work into Friday. And then I get out Friday morning. And then the following week, you know, it, it basically shifts the day. So, you know, there are some there are some weekends where, you know, I'm working Friday and Saturday night and, you know, I get out Sunday morning or whatever, or I'm working Saturday and Sunday during the days. So it's really no typical day. I mean, you know, I always kind of fall into the what day is it type situation because, you know, it's not like Monday I go back to work because this week, Tuesday, I go back to work. But the typical day is just kind of, I get up, whether it's a, a morning shift or a night shift, I go in and I relieve the person who was in the position before me because we kind of run 24-7, 365. Right. Um, so there's always somebody there and you can't leave until you get relieved by the person that's, you know, taking your spot. So I come in and uh, I relieve the guy that, uh, or woman that is in my position and kind of just get the briefing of what's happening, you know, whether there's been anything significant. Uh, with the truck mechanical-wise, personnel issues, anything that's kind of been going on, kind of get the quick rundown from them. And then, uh, you know, I, I because of COVID, I decon the truck, um, decon my position and all that other stuff. Uh, and then I set up my gear um, in my position. And then, you know, I'll walk around the truck and basically open all the compartments, check all my gear, check all the equipment on the truck, make sure that you know, what I need is still there. Nothing's missing. Nothing's fallen off. Nothing's broken. And uh, kind of just do my once over of the vehicle. Then um, <clears throat> in my position, I kind of, we have a log book and stuff. So I'll set the log book up, kind of look at the day's events and see what we need to do. If there's any specifics pertaining to having to take a vehicle to maintenance or just doing something within the station then kind of just sit down with my crew and kind of go over the day. Then at uh, about nine o'clock or so, we start to clean the station and everything, everything in the fire department is kind of broken down. Every day, there's a certain regiment of 
chores, basically, house, house duties that we do. You know? What I'm hearing so far is a intense amount of preparing and planning being ready, making sure that nothing's messed up from the last guy that was there, <laughs> you know, yeah. making sure your things are in place. And so as Lieutenant, you did mention you talk to your staff yeah. Yeah. about the day. What does that mean? After a certain point, you know, everybody knows what to do. So it's not so much where I'm telling people like, okay, you know, Jim, you have to sweep the floors and clean the bathroom. Basically at nine o'clock, we all kind of get up from, you know, having a cup of coffee or whatever, and we go do our thing. Intermittently, also do some, you know, calls for whatever it is—a vehicle fire, a car accident, somebody's sick, or anything like that. You know, your best plans of how the day should go is always kind of different. Where at nine o'clock, you may be out on the highway with a car accident for an hour or two. So the cleaning that you were supposed to be doing, you know, in the morning doesn't get done until you know eleven, twelve o'clock in the afternoon. And then um, during the days uh, after lunch, usually we do a uh, kind of a training session. So it could be something as simple as uh, a district familiarization if there's a new building in the city and stuff like that, that we kind of want to go and just do a a walk around and see where, you know, on the outside of a lot of buildings, they have something called a Knox box where all the keys that are primary to that building, you know, indoors, uh, special rooms, all that stuff are kept in this secure box. So you want to know where that is so that it's not something you're looking for in the middle of the night. So you do the you do the walk around. You see where the alarm panel is. Kind of look over how it's you know zoned out. If like the first floor is zone one, the second floor, or you know the basements or the elevators, how they've kind of marked it out. And they're usually pretty standard. Do you know all this for every building in your area? I, I mean, I'd like to say I do, but I know that I don't. But you know, within my gear that I have, you know, I have a book that uh, you know I, I've kind of put together, and it has all the boxes that, you know, the box alarms comes in from the dispatch. And, you know, I have listed in there where the Knox box key is. If it's, you know, right of the door, you know, six feet up or, or you know, whatever it is, something. Um, so that'll be in there. It also say where the fire alarm panel is. We're not always the first due company. So if I'm going into, my district is district four. If I'm going into district one, which engine one is the primary truck. We're coming in second too. So our job is to get the water supply for that. So I need to know where the closest hydrant is. We'll grab that hydrant and, you know, then we'll feed the the fire truck that's at the fire scene. That's a great segue into, okay, there's a, there's a house on fire. What goes through your head? What, once you're there, what do you do? So, so on my truck, there's, there's three guys. And if we're we're the primary truck. If it's, you know, the call in our district and we're going to be first on scene, my thought process is, what are we going to? Is it a house fire? Through modern technology, the guy who's riding my back step usually will pull up, you know, Google Maps or whatever on his phone and say, all right, you know, it's going to be on the right side and the wires are on that side of the street or they're not on that side of the street so that we could position our truck as we come into the scene for, you know, the ladder company, because the ladder, you always want to leave the front of the building open so that the ladder company can come and put right in the front of the building and drop their ladder and put it right on the roof. So, so there he's working on that. My driver, um, super fortunate. I have a, a, a guy who's been with me for a while. He's been on the department for a while. When we get the call, I don't even worry about whether he knows the best route to get there. He knows his job. He's really good at it. What I'm doing is I'm in the truck. If it's 
a regular house fire. I don't really have any information on the house in my book or anything like that. I'll look at the dispatch report, you know, where it came from and stuff like that and what they're saying about it. Then kind of as we're heading there, I'm looking down the street. Do I see any smoke? If I see the closest hydrant to the house, I'll put that over the radio and then I'll give a scene size up as we pull up to the to the fire. Smoke showing and building looks partially evacuated, residents out on the lawn. Engine engine four is going to be investigating. And that's kind of a standard where you see some smoke and things like that. You know, we'll pull a hose line off of the truck and get into the fire, into the house and try and find, locate the fire and put it out. And, you know, everything, as I said, is kind of broken up already. So when you get to a scene, the front door is always side one. Um, And then you go from left, you know, to the left is side two, the back is side three, the right side is side four. It's always the way. So, you know, I could come in on scene and say, you know, it's on the corner of Smith and Jones Street. Side one is on Jones Street. Fire looks to be in, you know, on side four. And giving that description, everybody knows exactly what the scene looks like. The building is also divided, you know, obviously it's floors and then it's quadrants. You know, you have your A, which is your front left, B, C, D, and then in the middle, you know, is E. So, you know, you can say it looks, you kind of, you can describe the fire and everybody uses the same terminology and uh, they'll know what they're coming into. But the battalion chief comes in, he surveys the situation again, gets kind of a report from, you know, the first two engine if they, or, you know, kind of sees what they're doing. Then he'll direct the second do and third do because we usually send three engines. So the second engine, while they're getting the water, another engine usually arrives on scene. And they back up the first crew that has gone into the fire. There's a lot of communication and teamwork. It's it's blowing my mind, actually. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's ever the same. There's never the situation that's like, you know, oh, it's it's you know, an A situation. Every situation, it's always different, yet everybody knows what to do. It's somewhat of a fluid situation. There's always, you know, there's always hiccups where there's three cars in the driveway and six cars in the street and access to the building is tough. Right, right. I'm sure that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're depending upon mechanical things and sometimes mechanical things break. If you're the first to engine and you know you have a catastrophic line failure, how do you mitigate that situation and get it remedied within a couple of minutes so that you can continue to address the situation that you're at. So speaking of addressing the situation, we talked a while ago about doing this interview and I asked you about backdraft. So can you tell the teacher as listeners what backdraft is and and how you can tell if it's safe to go in and how can you make it safe to go in if there's those conditions? It's basically almost like a thermos, I guess, is one way to look at it. You know, you keep your house insulated so that the cold air doesn't come in or out or the warm air doesn't go out inside. So if you have a fire inside your house, obviously you need a couple of things for a fire to exist. You need the fire itself, you need oxygen, and you need the material. If you're missing one of those things, usually a fire will burn out the oxygen in the room before, uh, before you know, it burns out the materials. So what happens with the backdraft is all the room and contents, the walls and things like that have burned, but there's no more oxygen to sustain the fire. A house is not airtight, but there, there's not enough oxygen in the room for the fire to continue. So it's in a smoldering state, but what happens is the gases get superheated 
and it's a lot of incomplete combustion. So the gas has a lot of particulates in it and it's getting really high, uh, high temperature. You'll, you'll come up on the scene and you'll, it, it's very much like the movie where you see the smoke kind of puffing and things like that. That's what happens because it's, it's just, it's almost like it's suffocating. It, it's starting to, you know, just a little breath, a little breath. It's keeping itself alive. So the room is really hot. The gases are really hot. There's just not enough oxygen for the fire to continue. So if you go to that situation and, you know, just like the movie, if you bust open the door, a big rush of energy, uh, oxygen comes in, fills the room full of oxygen. The fire can, you know, basically jump, jumpstart itself. And all that content that was really, really hot now just bursts into flames. Even the smoke, which has all the particulates in it, bursts into flames. So that's kind of what the backdraft is, where it rushes. They say, you know, all that air rushes from your backside into the room because it's like almost like you're taking a big breath. When you take a big breath, it's like, <gasps> and everything comes in. How you can do, you know, mitigate that situation if you see it, basically you ventilate and it's, you know, gases and things rise. So if you have a room, that's why we have the ladder on scene. They, you know, they get to the scene and they cut a hole in the roof so that all those gases, everything's going to rise and it's going to go straight up. So their job is to find where the seat of the fire is, ventilate the roof basically right over it to create a chimney so that everything goes out and that you can safely go in. The smoke is kind of dissipated a little bit because it's going up. It's not filling the room. If it doesn't have a vertical way to get out, it's just going to fill the ceiling. Then it's going to go from room to room. Then it's going to start to bank down. So once you open that up, it clears what you can see. And then you can kind of go in and you're not worried about the rush of oxygen, you know, feeding a fire and stuff like that. It's already kind of free burning where it has enough oxygen to burn, but it's not going to, you know, light the room and contents and the smoke and everything on fire. You'd, you'd think it's a good thing that it, there's not enough oxygen. So there's no fire. Yay. But it's actually like lethal. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it's like the sleeping giant or whatever. Yeah. A few months ago when we talked, or a couple months ago when we talked, you it was like a three-step thing, vent, something, and something. Vent, enter, and search. So uh, unfortunately, you know, people, they, get, they, they try to put out the fire or they are not able to get out during the fire. So, you know, you want to vent, ventilate the building so that the smoke's out of there. You want to get into the building and you'd search to make sure there's nobody inside that's hurt burned, trapped or anything like that. So, you, you know, you vent. The ladder company comes in, they vent. The first two company comes in, they enter and they search. And then the second two company, you know, basically they're, they're trying to take care of the fire if, you know, if the situation warrants. If there's a report from somebody there that, you know, there's a whole family of four or five people in that house and we have nobody accounted for. Right. There's all sorts of little acronyms, you know, the vent, enter and search, which we talked about life safety, scene stabilization, you know, there's all little mantras and stuff like that, that we're trying to basically follow the risk benefit rewards, you know, risk a lot to save a lot, risk a little to save a little. Everything you're saying is teaching. <laughs> it's all teaching. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, of course. I'm not going to go into it in the interview, uh, you know, right now, but I'm going to write all about it in my blog because it's this is all teacher stuff. Like, and if you're a, if if you're a teacher listening right now, you're going, oh yeah, that's when we have to assess kids, see if they're ready for what we're going to be teaching them, meet them where they are, enter, search. Yeah, listen, a fire takes a lot of different forms. Whether it's you know, right, a student a student having a difficult time or a legitimate fire, I would imagine it takes 
a lot of steps for you guys to to handle each situation and you know if this is happening then you have to do this it, it's it's very very similar and it becomes automatic mm-hmm. yeah definitely very cool so what is your proudest moment in your work i you know early on in my career i was actually driving to work one day and uh i was you know i was heading in and i saw this woman who was jogging and she, I, i'm like man she looks like she's wasted and uh, she, she basically, I drove by and I looked in my rearview mirror and she kind of fell face first into a snowbank. So I turned around and basically assessed the situation, you know, called a rescue. I was in this different city, spoke to them, kind of gave them a report of what was going on with her. You know, she was kind of coming around. She said, you know, oh, I'm not sure. I, I may just go home and stuff like that. And I, I kind of convinced her to go to the hospital. And say, you know, look, this this isn't something that normally should happen. Why don't you just go at least get checked out? Uh, later on in that day, I was at that point in time, I was on the rescue. I was in the hospital bringing another patient in that day, and she kind of yelled out, "There he is! There he is!" And she she was actually headed upstairs to have open heart surgery for a valve replacement. Oh, you know that's that's one of the things I remember. You rem- you definitely remember the good days. You, you definitely remember the bad days as well. Uh, but some of the good days, you know, are even just a, a little old lady who's on the floor and, she's, you know, she's been there and she has no way of getting up and you come in and she's just super, super happy. Thank God you're here, right? Right, exactly. You know, she's like, oh, thank God, you know, just to, to see the appreciation from people. It, it's, it, you know, you... You, you make a difference and you know you make a difference and you kind of feel it from the small things to the big things. That, that was an amazing answer to that question, Al. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you zooming in on with your work right now? Zooming in. Funny you should ask. Starting in September, we have 20 new recruits uh, coming in the department. I actually volunteered to leave the truck for a little while and do a Monday through Friday, nine to five type job and be one of the teachers for our academy. Well, there you go. That's awesome. So what I'm focusing on is just kind of honestly brushing up on my skills because, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure you know this, you know something, but to get it from your head to your mouth and explain it to somebody else, you have to review it and you have to look at it and be like, okay, this is so I've been kind of just focusing literally on basic stuff, how we operate and stuff, how even things like hydraulics and stuff, trying to explain to somebody that, you know, when you have a kink in the hose or even a bend in the hose, how much it reduces the the flow of your, your line. And if you've got a five inch line of water coming into the hydrant or coming from the hydrant into the truck, if it's bent, now you're reducing that and you've got three or four lines off, just kind of doing the basic math with them. Right. Or taking huge concepts and breaking them down. All that stuff that I know, kind of the mantras and things like that, that I know without even, you know, breaking a sweat, all these new people have to learn them. <laughs> they have to know the, the vent, enter and search, the, the product life safety, scene safety, property conservation, you know, all those things that we talk about, um, kind of that just roll off my tongue. They have to know those and roll off the tongue as well. So that's what I'm focusing on. <laughs> I love that you're going to be teaching. That's so cool. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you're going to be amazing. Uh, Well, I know where to go to get some help. (laughs) Absolutely. Anytime. So here's the last question. And most people that I interview find this to be the hardest one. Okay. What is your favorite movie and why? 
Oh, my favorite movie. My favorite movie is Fletch. Why is it one of my favorite movies? First of all, I just think, you know, it, it's it's a great movie. It's it's a comedy. It's a mystery. You know, it, it totally pulls me in. But also, it, it definitely brings me back to, you know, a certain point in my life, you know, in college and stuff with friends. And it just, you know, we all watched it a bunch of times and we loved it. So, um, you know, it just, that's my favorite movie. My husband, seriously, he loves that movie. <laughs> I mean, Chevy Chase, come on. Yeah. Thank you so much, Al. I know that, you know, you're a very busy person. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the Teacher As podcast so you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review and a rating as well if you have time. For my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you zooming in on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.